Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art on MTR Podcast. I am your host, Rob Lee, and today's guest is the executive director of Motorhouse, a nonprofit arts hub, gallery, and performance space that encourages new visions, bold statements, and emerging voices to celebrate the artistry of our city. Camille Kashaka, welcome to the podcast. Hey. <laughs> I got all of it in. I got all of it in. I'm, I'm happy about you got it. it all in. <laughs> um, so so thank you. And um, I'm happy that we're able to connect and, and chat. I read some things in your, your background and your bio that, that caught my attention. So a few of my questions are really in that space as well. I'm sure you saw it. Um, mm-hmm. But if you will, um, this, describe your work and kind of how it's been over the last year, because my understanding is you're recently it's been like a little over a year maybe right yeah so i came on board at motorhouse in february of 2020 so i had six weeks in the office and then we closed (sighs) um and i thought i went to like three events while we were open so i don't i didn't ever get like a really good grasp of what motorhouse was when i got there my both basically my entire experience at Motorhouse has been the COVID experience, which is, you know, it's been a, it's been a interesting journey because like on one hand, there was no blueprint to follow, but on the other hand, there was no blueprint (laughs) we had to follow. We could do anything. Um, But yeah, basically Right now, what Motorhouse is doing is, um, well, we're about to reopen. Yeah. So July 1st, we're going to be open. It's going to be popping. But between March 2020 and, you know, today, we've been doing like a mix of virtual programming and small, intimate, in-person programs. So I don't know. No, no, it does. Um, And so in it, that that focuses on the that art scene in in Baltimore and providing that space, um, whether it be for for performance and uh, whether it be for the gallery experience. Um, I saw quirky stuff, former guests that was on there. And so so speaking on that, what kind of ideas, concerns or objectives kind of motivated your work and your interest in kind of coming aboard with Motorhouse? Oh, oh, okay. So coming to Motorhouse was a dream come true. I literally went to an event in 2018 at Motorhouse and I said, "Uh uh-huh, this is where I want to be. And for two years, I stopped Motorhouse and tried to like (laughs) find my way in. And I sent a number of emails just cold saying, hey, let me be down. And at some point they let me be down. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's how it works sometimes. Um, you know, people, we do this, we try to do this passive thing that I'm not a big fan of. And I think like, if you want the the interview, if you want the connection, if you want to work at the place, it's like, don't let things stop that, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of reaching out. And, you know, there have been guests that I was able to book because it's an interesting list of guests. I think I have a little bit of everyone from in and around the city on there. And um, there are a few that's like, oh, snap, you hit me up like a year ago. I was like, yes, I did. And he's like, oh, you hit me up like five more times. I was like, I did. And, you know, sometimes people are like, yo, it's not a great time. Can you hit me back in a few weeks? Because they just they just had that that buzz and they had to work on something. So it's it's good to hear that 
you know, people out there doing it. And, you know, mm-hmm. that gumption and that desire to just follow through. It's like, look, I like what you guys are doing here. I want to be involved. I want to be down. Put me down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think for me, I've gotten more traction professionally and career wise by knowing people than I've ever, like, I've never gotten a job in the industry where someone didn't at least know of me. Right. Like if they, if I just submitted my resume and my application, I might get an interview. I might get a second and a third interview, Right. but I have never like booked the job. It's always been, I've worked with you on some other project or we've been in the same space and you've heard about projects I've worked on or organizations I've worked at, or you know about an organization that I've worked at. And because I've associated my name with that place, Mm -hmm. you have sort of an idea of how I must work, but it's never been like cold. I've never gotten anywhere just cold. And so I'm all for like a, excuse me, (laughs) Uh, would you be interested in an in informational interview? I would just like to get to know you and your organization better just to get my name in your brain. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think like some people, they, they kind of stick out and, you know, that's, that's the thing that kind of capture it, you know, like here it's that community setting that it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, you were at Motorhouse, or, Oh, like, you know, you were here at creative Alliance, You were here at this gallery, that girl, or you start seeing kind of the same people in the same scenes. And it's like, all right, it, it's almost a, it was, it's almost like co-signing in a way of like, mm-hmm. Oh, you, you do good work. So would you be interested in knowing this? I heard about your background in this area. It, it works in that way. And that's, I think been profoundly like clear in this last year to like 18 months that those relationships, if you haven't cultivated them, you, you, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it in some ways, I think. And it's good and it's bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like you should be able to have like this stellar resume and that just do what it does for you. Or you should be able to have a conversation with somebody off jump. (laughs) And if you are impressive in that conversation, that should be enough. It shouldn't be that I know somebody or you and I know somebody in common. Yeah. It shouldn't be that way, but it is what it is. That's, that's the thing I think that pushes people over there to that, that hump. Like I, I've been podcasting for 12 years and it's, it's a thing. And I look at like shows that I listen to and I'm not a huge podcast listener because it's, it's a different experience for me, but mm-hmm. in, in going back and looking at it, I was like, what are the podcasts that I listen to and what configuration of that podcast I listen to? Because they, there may be, let's say two or three different people on there. It's like, okay, that's the combination I want. And it's, it's the personality. It's like, that's what's getting over. So it's like, you may have all the credentials. That's a prerequisite, you know, that, or, or to, yeah. to a degree. But if it's like, oh, I know you, there's that cosine, that cherry on top. And it's like, that's the thing that gets you over the hump. But if no one knows who you are, that, that's the question. Like, who, who's this yeah. person again? And you get lost in the shuffle in the world of, in this digital age, as it were, um, with resume parsers and information like that, you can easily get lost. And um, I've done it even with doing the cold move of reaching out to people for this podcast. I'm like, all right, who do I know? And Mm -hmm. it's rare that I do that. But when it's like, all right, this is more of an illustrious level guest here and I can't get the traction I would like, I I might have to go through that network. But I think that's one of the benefits of it. Like, 
people see what's happening here and they only speak in a very superlative kind of way. It's like, oh, he does a great podcast or he's a great dude to talk to. And, you know, you end up reaching back out. You work within that network. I wasn't a networker, you know, in my business career. I wasn't really a networker. And it's kind of something I stumbled onto out of necessity. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in that space, like, so that is that a skill set that you've cultivated over like the networking ability? Because that's what it sounds like to me that, that you did. Yeah. Um, is that something that you kind of always had or because you, you were saying different you know, situations presented themselves that you were able to get something through a connection? So yeah. is networking always been something you were good at? You are, are you able, are you a person that can work a room? Mm-mm, no, I mean, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. I feel very awkward most of the time in social situations. <laughs> I'm, I'm six, four. And it's like, ah, how can I hide? How can I make myself? No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> and I, I have a, um, I have a, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of BlurredCon. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to that. And I, last time I went was the last time they, they had us. I was pressed there. And this time I'm going there and it's a different situation. I was like, all right, can I just wear a mask? How can I hide myself? <laughs> but it's like you're around your people. It's like I still want to hide. Yeah. So, yeah, it's weird. It's hard when like I don't like being in spaces where I don't know anybody mm-hmm. because I guess there's still like that feeling like when you're in school where, oh, those are the cool kids. Um, yeah. Or I'll be in situations where there are people who I have talked to, I have like admiration for. Yeah. And I still am like, will they even remember me? I don't know. Uh-huh. I think my blessing is, and my curse is that I have like no grace. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I like, when I put my mind to it, then I'm going to, okay, this is an awkward situation. I'm just going to do my best here. I sort of call out the awkwardness or I'll say, I don't know if you remember me, but blah, 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 blah. And sometimes they don't. And it's crushing inside, but it's still like I can maintain the facade. (laughs) And sometimes they're like, of course, Camille, I remember you. We did this like really specific thing one day. Um, So I like even like in the fundraising realm, I have never considered myself a fundraiser. And the only way I know how to do it, I think there's a finesse that other people have that I just, I've never picked it up. And so, you know, you're supposed to be like making these new contacts and nurturing these relationships. And yeah. then you ask for money. Like, so I, it's a weird, it's weird. It's weird. So I'll say, listen, I really admire the work that you're doing in the community. I'm going to ask you for money, but not today. Let's talk a little bit. <laughs> and I've gotten like great response from that. Like, thank you for being forthcoming. I'm like, it was not for you. It was because I don't know how to do this the other way. <laughs> yeah. I I worked in that space for a bit doing the, the, the data and the background stuff on it. And I just remember just, it had an air of kind of fakeness mm-hmm. in that fundraising very. And I was like, so you're going out, you're doing all these different things with alumni and so on. And it's like, mm, it seems kind of fake, doesn't it? And it's like, you're, you're having these quote unquote substantive conversations. You're on the clock to cultivate these things. And I, it kind of impacts the, the purity of those interactions. And some people just see it. They're like, I 
don't want to do anything with you, let alone here, here's a couple of dollars or whatever's for, for, for what you're raising funds for. Mm -hmm. So what are some projects, um, that, and, 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 and this may be a little weird because of the last, last year or so, but what are some projects that you've organized or been a part of that have been really exciting to you? Okay, so the biggest program to come out of Motorhouse in the last year is the Digital Artist Portfolio Program. I love this program because it is literally birthed from COVID. We had a number of conversations with artists in the community, artists that we already have relationships with, um, and some strangers, but people who are doing the work and because of COVID, they were not getting paid for it. And we said, what do you need? Like, how can we help? Because Motorhouse, we didn't, we're a venue, right? Mm -hmm. So we didn't, we didn't know what our role was supposed to be if we couldn't be a venue. Um, so we, we asked a lot of questions and the biggest response we got was, we need resources, we need space, and we need money. And I said, word, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Absolutely. So the DAP program came from that. And we said, well, what are the resources that artists need? They need professional development. They need headshots. They need production skills. They need high quality video because it's going to be a virtual world for the foreseeable future. And there's probably like, even after that, I don't know that we're going back i think Mm -hmm. virtual performance is going to be a thing from now on um so you get high quality video you get put in contact with grant makers and you learn how to write grants you get put in contact with a marketing firm so you learn how to do like your social media stuff um if you want you can get a mentor we can like find someone who's doing what you say you want to do and they can help you, even if it's just a conversation, they can help like guide your path a little bit. So, and you get paid for your performance <laughs> and it's not bad money. Um, that's, at this point that's we're paying amazing. artists, I think $400 per performance, which, you know, isn't life-changing, but for, a, it's not even a long performance. Like the longest performance is a half an hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you know, we're doing, we're doing our best to say, to do what we said we were going to do because people asked for it. So I love that. We've also in July, I think last year, I think it was July. We opened for small groups to visit Mm -hmm. our gallery. Um, and they were very small groups. Like it was four people at a time. Uh, assemble your crew (laughs) but we've been we've been curating the gallery which i don't think i mean it happened organically before i got there but we've been like really intentional about the artists that we're putting up now um and next year we'll have like a whole season that we're announcing it's gonna be fantastic but um i got to curate a a show oh really and it was so much fun it was called joy it was funded by the uh, OSI Baltimore, um, nice. and it was to commemorate the fifth anniversary of Freddie Gray's murder. Yeah. And we decided that we were going to do a portrait exhibit of activists in Baltimore in their happy places. That's great. And the whole point was to create 
an environment for the activists that is like rejuvenating and happy and peaceful because, you know, they're doing really difficult work. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's honor them and let's make sure that we focus on what makes them happy and not necessarily like the the hardness of their work. Right. And they just were so beautiful. Like every activist who came, they came gorgeous <laughs> to these uh to these photo shoots and their places were super cool we did one in a in a nail shop in a black owned nail shop <laughs> yeah. we did one in a black owned hair salon we did one at uh the the waterfront we did one yeah. in front of a cigar bar do you call a cigar place a bar i don't know but it was like a, sure it was a cigar a cigar place it's just incredible so yeah, that one was, and the art, the photographer is an emerging artist that we found in the newspaper. She had been taking photos of the protest that summer. Her name is mm-hmm. Kiana Wilson. She had been taking uh, photos of the, you know, the George Floyd Black Lives Matter uh, protest. And we said, yeah, she's dope too. So let's just, yeah, she's, she's an activist yeah. and her activism is through photography. So it was a great project. That, that sounds great. And I think it's in, enriching for the people that are here because as, as you touched on the, the work that they're doing, the activism that they're doing is, it's like, this is, it's, it's, it can be hard to see sometimes and being around it. It's like, it's important stuff, but it can also be very challenging to be around. It's like, is this ever going to change and, and things like that? Yo, and, like, and they're doing it for us. Yeah. Yeah. So we all and, Absolutely. And it's one thing that this, this group of uh, photographers and video videographers and all that I've been working with, we did a project back in uh, February and it was just going through Baltimore because one of the things for, for this podcast is I'm, I'm tired, you know, I'm tired of people talking ill of the city and ill of the people in it. You know, we're not just uh, a politicized mm-hmm. talking point or what have you. So you know, with that and in the effort to do that, we, we did this thing where we were giving people roses you know, for Valentine's Day. So we were just randomly going to people, appreciate you, here's a rose. And, you know, just in different spots in the city. And I, I can send you the video afterwards, what have you, but it was a lot of fun. And I was really proud to be a part of that project. And I think that's the thing that's, that's big. And I think when people talk about like healing and all of that different stuff, you, you need things there to show like you matter in a, in a, in a real tangible substantive yeah. way. And a lot of times it gets messed out and people just keep going on with the doldrums of day to day. And a lot of times it's not easy. Yeah, I agree. So let, let's, let's shift it a little All bit. Right. So, Hmm. Where do I want to go with this one? Uh, <laughs> I read that you're a hardcore trick. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. And most of your philosophy uh, on life uh, comes from the Jean-Luc Picard's monologues. Can you provide me an example? So I think I need to update my bio because it is definitely Jean-Luc Picard, but also my spiritual guide, Octavia E. Butler. So like the two of them together really inform my, my outlook. Right. And the thing about both of them is they have through Jean-Luc Picard's little speeches and Octavia E. Butler's just her library. uh, 
they force us to confront what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. What and what does it mean to be human in relation to everything else? Um, right. So, like Jean Luc Picard has gone to bat a thousand <laughs> times for Data, who is an android. Yes. And a lot of the arguments he makes, he's making them and realizing it himself. He's realizing his own biases mm-hmm. at the same time. He's a, <laughs> he's a diplomat. And so I've learned like diplomacy yeah. from him because it, again, I don't have grace. I don't have a whole lot of diplomacy. It's very hard for me to like figure out how I'm supposed to say what I'm thinking yeah. without being rude (laughs) totally totally um but he's he's good at that he i mean are you do you know star trek am i okay so i'm just gonna talk as if everybody who listens to your podcast knows what i'm talking about i I would hope they know i would hope so (laughs) (laughs) um you know his relationship with q Mm -hmm. q is like humans are just disgusting primitive savages and John Luke Picard has has to in I think it's the first episode of next gen where he the humanity is put on trial (laughs) yes and he has to be like no we were trash but we're trying where we're saving (laughs) (laughs) something in that space but but stepping back it's interesting that that notion like it may be this release Have, have you seen the movie um AI no. Okay. So, Uh-oh. so there, there has this element in it. Um, like I, I read sci-fi uh, novels and, and things like that. Well, eBooks, I don't read, I just listen. Um, but I still capture that story or what have you. And at times they have this thing called the flesh fair in it. And basically androids are being just like destroyed, like for entertainment. Oh my! And so they, in this whole human elements, like, okay, you look like a person. You're being ripped apart. I was like, this is rough. Yeah. And I was like, in watching it, I was reviewing it. It's like, man, I feel something here for these androids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's the humanity? I was like, I feel more for the androids than the actual humans in this story. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, is, what are they saying there? Because it's designed for me to feel that way. Mm-hmm. So when you, you mentioned the thing about going to the bat and going on trial for like data and the, the conversations around humanity, I immediately go to that. Yeah. I immediately go to like Blade Runner and things like that. Yeah. I think what is what what interests me most and like what I absorb into my personality the most is being able to balance that as a species, we're just trash. <laughs> we're garbage. And still being like, but there is beauty and there is room to celebrate and not hate yourself and uh be optimistic even though nothing in our history suggests that we should be optimistic we still can be we still can hold space for optimism yeah it's, it's like have that base level like mm, we're trash we've had a lot of wars a lot of terrible things happen yeah. but eh, things could be good right Maybe? Yeah, there, there, in my individual life experience i have experienced joy happiness peace so it must be a thing that happens i hope that most of that is not at the expense of someone else's happiness or joy or peace or safety right because that is also a thing because we're trash 
but (laughs) (laughs) that's great. But I just, I, I don't know. I, I guess I have to be optimistic because the alternative is terrible. And so I find ways to justify my optimism. No, optimism is, is, is key or what have you. And like, no one wants to be around. Um, I talk about this with my partner all the time. Like she'll say, huh, it's a lot of Eeyores around here. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, she's like, I can't be around this. I can't get coffee around this Eeyore. I don't want coffee now. It's supposed to be a great experience. This sucks. Right. right. <laughs> so if, if you had, if you had all the money in the world unlimited financial means, um, which cultural, artistic or professional experiences are you investing your time and money into in, in this kind of local space? And I, and I feel like you may have answered it in terms of like the work that's happening, but you know, I thought I'd st- still ask that. Yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll see what I ramble on about in the next few minutes. Um, I actually am on this, like, I don't know what you call it. Like this soul searching journey that happened because of COVID. I was literally running around a track and the thought occurred to me, if I met God and asked, who am I? Mm-hmm. What would the answer be? And I don't know. I'm still like, I'm still figuring it out because so much of my identity is wrapped up in my blackness, in my womanness, in my black womanness, in my straightness, um, mm-hmm. in my cisness. It's so like, it's, so wrapped up in these things that people have told me who I am and the things that I do. And I don't like that. I don't like that part of my identity is attached to Motorhouse. Mm-hmm. I don't like that part of my identity is attached to being an arts manager. I love being a black woman. So that, you know, yay for me, but it's still <laughs> something that somebody told me that I was and is not something that is part of me as an individual creation, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It does. Um, so I says all that to say, the only part of the answer that I've discovered in this year and a half is I really enjoy learning things. Um, so I think if I had no restrictions, I would spend all of my time learning stuff. I would learn more about like Afro-Caribbean arts and culture because my mom is Trini and I haven't spent enough time like digging in. You know, I have I have my whatever I was raised in, but I haven't dug into it. I would spend more time learning about like black American cultural traditions that aren't just like soul food and hip hop. Right. Right. There's so much there that I would like to dig into. I have always wanted to be a mechanic. Oh, I want to learn to do hair. I want to finish learning French. I want to learn a African language. Yeah. Um, I just started taking boxing lessons. Let's get it. Let's get yeah, it. Yeah, I'm about to. I'm about to. You know, what I'm saying, be the champion. Work the jab, but you know, left hook to the body. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got a strong hook. I got a strong left hook. That's what I learned. I don't duck well. Oh shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm gonna get hit. I'm gonna get hit. But ah, you hate to see it. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I would do. I would just keep immersing myself in new information. And I, and I think in that that. It, that's that's taken out and within that and maybe it's taken out and within that 
that network of people that are around you and that are close to you, it's it's only by proxy given out. Mm -hmm. Like it's like I like I always describe myself as kind of the cowboy of things, and outside of just the traditional white cowboy because they're they're terrible, yeah. <laughs> but the, the the cowboy of I'll go over the ridge and I'll try that new thing and I'll come back and I'll share it with my family, my friends, people that are close. And I always get hit with the, you're bougie. Why would you be into that? But then it's like, well, tell me more about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and it's kind of that. And that's what I was hearing where it's like, I want to learn this. I want to bring this in. I want to be able to have this, these, these new skills. Cause I think, I think when you stop learning, you stop growing, then you kind of stop living. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I've also uh, always like enjoyed homework. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, you had me there for a second. I, I, was like, I lose everybody at some point. Uh, yeah, no, I've always like enjoyed, like I had a toy once that wasn't a toy. It was like a math workbook. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a word guy. And I realize that sometimes my vocabulary is not great because I choose certain words over other words a little too much. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I used to always have like those um, SAT books mm -hmm. with all of the different stuff. And you sit there around like, huh, here's a $5 word. I'm going to throw in this conversation to make it look like I'm not completely inept. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I'll work it in my cage. Just like, all right, you were reading a book this week. Uh, so, so, uh, so it's, it's speaking back on your role and not necessarily um, as motorhouse, cause I kind of, I, I kind of got what you were saying a moment ago, as far as like, what one's identity means. So it is within your identity is purely Camille hard stop. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you feel your role is within the arts specifically in Baltimore and, and maybe even beyond because it may be different from your role in motorhouse. Yeah, no, in this particular capacity, it's the same. The thing okay. that I have loved most about my job here and other places is handing a check to people. I love paying people. I love the feeling I get. I say, it's, it's the truth. Take advantage. Uh, the feeling I get at the end of like a performance and I go to the band leader and I'd be like, here, I got something for you. And, <laughs> and it's like that instance where it's like, oh, I'm getting the full amount. Because <laughs> you know how they, they show them in movies. It's like, oh, it's a little short this time, right. isn't it? <laughs> no, I love that. So whatever position I can play, to bring an artist and audience and some money into the space. Mm -hmm. That is the position I want to play. Um, and I actually am anti-capitalism. I hate capitalism, but I also recognize that you need money to live right now. Maybe like mm -hmm. a thousand years in the future, that won't be the case. But during my lifetime, capital is king. So if I, what I do to make myself feel better <laughs> is equate prioritizing money. I equate that with livelihood and life. So yeah. I'm helping artists live. Like the artist is going to art anyway, right? Yeah. Whether or not they're paid for it. So my right. job is to find ways to pay them for it, to put them in rooms with other people who can pay them for it. Uh, to get told you're not paying me enough and like decide if that person's telling the truth and right. find ways, if they are, find ways to pay them more. Um, but I think 
my role in the arts is not to create it, it's to facilitate it. I dig it. Yeah. I think, I think one of the ways I've looked at it, cause I had to, I still do that balancing act of doing the podcasting, doing the day job and all of that. And, you know, it was an opportunity that presented itself to take a job elsewhere. And, um, and that means a lot. And I, and, and I had to really look at like, really, what do I want to do? Like, is the job kind of the, I'm a mercenary in that kind of way. Like I just need this money to, you know, have my lifestyle sustained or what have yeah. you. And I try to have those barriers between needing the money to drive my artistic pursuit mm -hmm. and looking at it like this. So I kind of changed my relationship a long time ago with money. And I look at it and similar to how you were describing it. I always look at it. Like, this is the, this is the language that they're speaking. Mm -hmm. This is not my value and all of that. And People are like, oh, why don't you jump in at, the, at this six-figure job or that six-figure? It's like, I don't want that. Yeah. And I was like, my comfort level is most important to me. If yeah, we would talk about like whatever I'm making now, if you knocked off 20 grand and said, you just a podcaster all the time, and it was 20 grand less than what I'm making for my day job, I take mm -hmm. it because I'm more fulfilled in that way. And it's like, does it sustain me? Does it you know, keep my fond filet mignon meals here? Yes, that's what I have for lunch. <laughs> uh, so so how, do you, how do you see arts like it, 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 capital A in as macroly as possible. How do you see like art specifically in Baltimore moving forward in the next like year or two years or, or longer? I don't, I don't know. The honest answer is I don't know. What I do know is that local artists are always the trendsetters. So they will tell us what is important. Whether or not they get credit for being a trendsetter is different. But the truth yeah. of the matter is those people dancing on the street corner are yeah. creating the new dance crazes, the new types of movement. Um, so I should TikTok them, right? And, you know, because right. there's truth in this art. I should go there with a camera. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is new craze. of just people just beating their feet. And it's like, I got it. I'm on the ground floor. Right, right. But they... I, <laughs> What's, what's important to remember is that my role as part of an organization and all of these other organizations, these other institutions are to magnify whatever is happening on that level. Um, yeah. And yeah, everybody wants fame. Everybody, well, that's not true. Many people want fame. Many people want their career to expand or explode and there's nothing wrong with that but i just wish that the people with the resources would pay less attention to those who have already made it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and pay more attention to those who are creating what in a year or two from now is going to be the biggest, baddest, whatever. Ugh, I wish I was more eloquent. What I'm saying is. <laughs> no, I, I understand where you're coming from. Though. I understand what you're saying. Okay, great. Because I, I think that's what, what happens. And you kind of see, uh, you kind of see like uh, from uh, something that's supposed to be representing a region. Let's say use, I'm not going to say Baltimore. Let's say Lexington, Kentucky, because I don't want people to get butthurt. <laughs> let's just say it's supposed to represent a small part of Lexington, Kentucky. And it's like, oh, suddenly this area is popping. Then there's like five people that represent it. And then we stay with these five people. And it's like all of these other people, all of these other creators that are doing really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. 
but these are the five people that are representative of that scene. And that's unfortunate yeah. because these other people need those opportunities. And it's like really spread that wealth and, yeah. and spread those opportunities because you start seeing the same people all in all. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, this person came from there, but it's not really a scene. Right. That's, at least that's what, what the you know, expectation is. There's, I right. think the, the myth of scarcity is the, it's not the root problem, but it is a problem with how we, how we prioritize who we support. Now, Motorhouse has a finite amount of money. And this other organization, B, has a finite amount of money. But in Baltimore, how, how, how finite is it really? In Maryland, how finite is it really? In the country, how finite is it really? It's because we aren't, we don't prioritize sharing our resources that it feels like there's, we can only support so much. We can only mm-hmm. cater to these five artists who represent this, this genre or whatever. Um, and it's not, it's not true. I always look at the pie, like that whole thing. I was like, I feel like we're, we're being sold a bill of goods that we know a pie has eight slices or whatever, but we're being told that, you know, there's eight, but really there's three because five are already been earmarked mm-hmm. and we're, we're, it's part of the secret sauce, you know, it's baked in. Right. It's, notice the pie analogy continues. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the thing. And then people get in these, these spots where you start losing collaboration. You start losing some of those things that really make, and I think, impact art in a very positive way or impact creativity and community in a really positive way, because we are, we're not looked at as collaborators. We're looked at as, as competition. Mm-hmm. I, I see it in this podcast space where there's two other podcasts out there that I'm, I'm aware of and that I've talked to and I've worked with that, you know, people may not listen to each one of us because it's only so many black dudes doing interviews mm-hmm. with people in the arts and community in Baltimore. Yeah. But really, you can do all of them. Mm-hmm. You you should listen to all of them. They're all unique. They're all individuals. Right. I also think what what I would hope that artists can hear from me, like you have this podcast. You can't do this particular podcast without a guest. Mm-hmm. Or else you just yeah. be talking to yourself. I've done that a few times. Uh, those are the lost episodes. But yes. <laughs> What I do, I can't do without artists. Yeah. And that is true for many organizations. You can't be a philanthropic organization and not give money away, right? Right. You need people to give money to. I need people to perform. I need people to exhibit. So just like in the beginning, how we were talking about, I'm good about cold calling somebody or cold emailing someone just to introduce myself. I appreciate when artists do that to me because I, I need you. <laughs> I need artists to do things. Yeah. And maybe today's not the right day. Maybe this program isn't the right program. But if I know you and I know what you do and I support what you do. <laughs> yes. yes. Like you. Um, <laughs> because, you know, there are people who their work is not aligned mm-hmm. with my values or the values of Motorhouse. Um, but if it is, I'm going to keep you in mind for when opportunities pop up, when we create, when we're planning and thinking, what should we do next year? Yeah. Oh, well, this person told me that they have this really cool idea about like, I don't know, black aerialists and maybe we can do something like that. Yeah. 
and, and the thing that, that you said there as far as like recognize and I think that's the thing recognizing where you know you need I need a guest you need like, like talent that's going to perform and so on mm-hmm. it always takes me back to I went to Morgan it takes me back to being at Morgan and having it was this it was this board that was over there and people hated going to like financial aid because it's always like uh, how am I broke this month yeah. and but you would see this kind of I would just use for for lack of a better term like this bill of rights this credo and it's like because you exist we're here to serve you yeah we exist because of you and you know and that was more for to keep the people that were working there to keep that in mind because sometimes it felt a little DMV ish mm-hmm. like ah oh, this is this is rough but it's just <laughs> like people know what that exchange looks like. And, you know, it's definitely a relationship there, but one person is in need and the other person is in need, but in a different way, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, the last question I have Mm -hmm. uh, before I get into shameless plugs, I like to do shameless plugs. Um, uh, What is the funniest thing that's happened to you recently? Um, Aside from this podcast, because (laughs) I can't take it emotionally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, does getting old and rickety count as funny? It can. Uh, I, sure. Literally, this is no exaggeration. Literally pulled a muscle in my thigh doing my hair. <laughs> Ow. And wow. I don't know. I don't know. You ask me, how did that? Ha- I don't know. That's... But I was, I was down for the count for like three days. It's not great. It's not great. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'm luckily I've not gotten any gray hair yet. Uh, and my, my friends make fun of me. And it was like I'm mad that you're like, I'm 36. So I always get the whole, Oh, well you're 40. That's the thing I get thrown around. And this, this came from my mom. She was like, you're 40. And I was like, I'm just turned 36 actually. And I'll, I'll talk with my buddy about it. He's like, yeah, I imagine you don't have any grades. I was like, what is this? Yeah. And I was like, my back always hurts. It's like, oh, that's the only, that's the only age you got going on. Like your back. That's hurts. Pretty bad one though. Your back, you don't know how much you need it till it's not there no more. As Hannibal Burris said, it's most of your body. If you haven't realized. <laughs> um, so your, your thigh, you, so you blew out your thigh, you were down, you were on the IL for a couple of days, <laughs> a follicle-related injury. Um, so uh, real quick, um, uh, any final thoughts um, and shameless plug time. Um, so have your, the floor is yours. Okay, so Motorhouse is opening July 1st. Like I said, please come out to whatever we got going on. We do have a new exhibit opening we don't have a name for it yet, but we will really soon. Um, but it's our annual tenant show. So the, the artists who are have studios in the building will be exhibiting work. Um, and that will go until August 28th, I think. But don't hold me to it. Uh, it'll be on our website and our social media. But we have that. And then this month we have our new DAP cohort. So our fourth cohort of artists will be performing and exhibiting um, in July. And that's virtual, so you just tune into our Instagram television and enjoy it from the comfort of wherever you are. But the the tenant show, you gotta come to that. That's in the building. Yeah, pull up. <laughs> yeah, you gotta pull up. That's a great plug though. It's like from the comfort of your own place, but also pull up to the next thing though. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, for, don't forget. Uh, right. 
and the social media website, all that good stuff. Yeah. So the website is motorhousebaltimore.com. We're Motorhouse Baltimore on Facebook and Instagram. So, yeah. Um, so there you have it. Thank you so much for being a great guest and coming on and spending this afternoon with me. No problem. It's a joy. So for Camille Kashaka, this is Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Oh,